The following talk was given at the Insight Meditation Center in Redwood City, California. Please visit our website at audiodharma.org. So welcome, everyone. Um, I see that there's at least a few people that aren't home watching the vice presidential debate. <laughs> oh. Um, yeah, I was asked uh, yesterday, about midday yesterday, if I could come and give a talk today. So as kind of a disclaimer, I had about a day and a half to, to think about what I was going to talk about and, and, and what's been up for me that I could talk about. And so I had thought about talking about views and opinions, given that this is the election season. And, it, and it's definitely something that I've been struggling with. Um, but I decided I actually don't think I'm skillful enough to teach about that right now. <laughs> so, I, as, so yesterday afternoon as I was sitting in the dentist chair, I decided that something that I have more skill in teaching about is um, developing mindfulness in challenging situations uh, in daily life. So not just in, sitting on the cushion in your daily or weekly meditation practice, but how do you both um, use mindfulness in a beneficial way in those day-to-day experiences you have that are challenging, and also how can you um, strengthen your mindfulness through those situations, not only use it as a, a tool in that environment, but actually be able to strengthen that tool. So. I'm going to talk about the four foundations of mindfulness, the four categories of things to be mindful of, and using specifically the examples of that I've been involved in most recently. Um, over the last two years, I've been having an extensive amount of dental work done. And in the last three weeks, I've had three hours a day in the chair every week um, getting all sorts of new caps and things. So that's that's maybe an extremely extreme condition, but I, I suspect all of us go to the dentist twice a, twice a year or once a year or once every couple years. And I often would approach it with a kind of a sense of dread, you know, some aversion to what's going to happen. And in having to do this a lot, I found that there was a real benefit in being able to use that that particular experience as a place where I could actually make it into a form of meditation. You know, there isn't very much asked of you. You know, you're you're, you're not the one doing the work. You know, other than opening your mouth and moving your head occasionally. Um, it's a good place to practice being present for what's going on. So I'll interleave the descriptions of the foundations of mindfulness with the experiences that I've had over the last 24 hours and hope that that will be uh, helpful to you all either the next time you're at the dentist or the next time you're in a challenging situation where
where you will have an opportunity to either use mindfulness or to conversely see if you can escape the situation through some other uh, mindlessness. So how many of you have heard of the four foundations of mindfulness? There's, there's some. So I'll start by talking about those. The, what is it that the Buddha taught that we ought to, that are things worth bringing our mindfulness to? So the first one, the first category is mindfulness of the body. So being mindful of the bodily experience. So in this particular situation, as I, as I came into the, the dentist's office and sat down in the chair and was reclined, I could notice, what's it like to be lying in this chair? What's the, the, the feeling of my body against the chair? The temperature, was it a little bit warm or a little bit cool? Um, noticing my breath, noticing that I was breathing. Noticing, was there any tension in the body? Um, somebody had pointed out to me that one of the uh, cues that dentists sometimes look at for whether one of their patients is, is feeling um, stressed or not is, are their hands clenched? So I'd pay attention to, like, were my hands clenching up or were they relaxed? And then there's all of the, the sense input that one has sitting there. There's the light shining down, the faces of the, the dentist and the, and the assistant. Um, actually, a lot of the time I would have my eyes closed. So mostly what I would see might be changing light and dark as people would kind of move in front of me. Um, probably the... the the next most prominent experience were sounds, listening to the conversations taking place, uh, questions being asked of me, the birds outside, the cars, um, the sound of water, the sound of the, the suction device, and then of course the sound of the drill, you know, and noticing what would happen when I'd hear the sound of the drill. So, um, and then there were uh, tastes. There'd be a little bit of um, topical anesthetic that would be put on. So that had actually kind of a pleasant flavor to it. Um, the smells of the various um, adhesives that the, that the dentist would use. The smell of, of the tooth as it was being uh, drilled on. Let's see. And then the physical sensations of you know having having somebody ha- somebody's hands in my mouth. Just what what, are, what was that like? And could I be present for it? So 
terms of mindfulness of body, there was a there was a lot going on. There was a lot of physical sensation. There was a lot of sense contact. And there was a couple things that I wanted to say about this. Like, so you might ask, why would you do this? You know, what's what's the what's the payoff? <laughs> For paying attention versus just telling them, you know, give me some gas, knock me out. I, I don't want. I don't want to be around for this. And one of the benefits is that it's good. Pra- I, I find that it's good practice. That it's a way for me to practice being present. And that there are t- other times in your life when you don't have the option of not being present. So if you can be p- uh, present during those times that might be particularly difficult, then you develop a strength to be able to be present at other times. I had set the intention for myself in doing this also was can I be relaxed both in body and in mind when this happens? So I I talked earlier about noticing when there was physical tension building and I would find that if I could just notice that 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 was happening, that often just the noticing of the physical tension I could I could relax. I could just let go of it. That at that particular moment there was really no benefit from being physically tense. The the more difficult part was finding when the mind would be tense. Not because of something that was actually happening at that point but thinking about, anticipating, maybe he's going to do something that's really painful. And so I, I, I really need to kind of like mentally tense up in case you know, something happens. And over time, over these, these periods of, of um, working, doing this, what I call a dharma of dentistry, um, <laughs> that I found that actually it was, I had more capacity than I thought to be able to relax the mind about what was happening. For one thing, I'm working with somebody that I have a great deal of trust in and confidence in their skill. And they seem to do a pretty good job of putting anesthetic where it needs to be, although not always. And I had found in an earlier time when I was feeling quite nervous that I tried a different practice called metta practice where I, was, I would actually work on wishing myself uh, happiness and well-being. And this was like it's sort of in the half an hour between they, when they gave me anesthetic and when they came to extract a tooth. I spent that half hour just cultivating well-wishing for myself and well-wishing for the surgeon and well-wishing for the other 
uh, assistants. And so when they came to extract the tooth, I felt rather than um, having being in a state of fear or dread or um, tension, I really felt a sense of gratitude that I was receiving the kind of care that I was at that moment, that I felt like I was in the hands of competent people who were doing things that were in my best interest and that I felt fortunate that I had the resources and the availability of, of, of um, that kind of care. And that was a real shift. That was, that was the first time I ever did metta in the dentist chair. And so it made me realize that, that there was a benefit to paying attention and setting an intention to be relaxed because not only did it help me through the, the process, but I also got feedback from the dentist that he said, you know, you're one of the easiest people to work on. So that the, you know, that undoubtedly those practitioners that were, help, were working on me could sense kind of a, a softness, a, a lack of, of tension that then, I believe, helped them be able to do a better job. So, you know, it was kind of like I think we all came out better in being able to um, intend towards a place of relaxation in, those, in, in that situation. But it's not, it's not easy. I mean, I, it, it wasn't something that I, wasn't the first experience that I had. And so there's a couple of caveats I want to make. First of all, um, it's important to know what your limits are. Like, what can you be mindful for and what's more than you can be mindful for? So I wouldn't advocate telling a dentist or a doctor who's about to do something, you know, forget the anesthetic. I'm just, I'm, I'm just going to deal with this. Um, just just going to be present. Now, I actually have a friend who's a Dharma teacher who did one time, he said he went to the dentist and he said, okay, don't give me the anesthetic. I'm just going to be mindful. And he said it was too much. He, he realized that it wasn't, it wasn't skillful to try to, to handle it that way. Um, So you need you need to be you need to have some sense of what can you be present for, and it might be that being in the dentist chair is just too much for you. And if they suggest a general anesthetic or something, then that might be the right thing to do. So I'm not. Ultimately, you have to rely on your own judgment as to as to how to work with this. But given that caveat. Um, I think there, that there, there is a benefit from, from doing this, this type of practice. So I've, I've rambled a little bit. I talked, first of all, about the, the first foundation of mindfulness, which is mindfulness of the body. And I, I think you get a general sense of all of the different bodily sensation that you can be aware of in that, that can kind of keep you in your body and keep you aware of what's going on and out of a lot of the 
thoughts and fears of what might happen. You know, kind of what, what actually is happening right now. So there's mindfulness of the body. The second foundation is mindfulness of feeling tone. That is, for every time there's a new sense contact, is it pleasant, is it unpleasant, or is it neutral? And so that's, that's another thing that you can be mindful of in situate, you know, as I said, in many situations. In, in this particular situation with, with the dentist, there's the, um, you know, there were, there were some things like the topical anesthetic that was very pleasant. You know, as soon as he put it on, that was pretty, pretty pleasant. The, uh, putting the anesthetic in with the hypodermic, that was kind of neutral. It wasn't, the experience itself wasn't unpleasant. The thoughts about what if he just does it a little bit wrong? You know, I mean, sort of the, the contraction of the mind around what if he slips? That was unpleasant. Um, you know, some of, some of the, um, Some of the drilling was unpleasant. Um, lying in the chair was actually pretty present. I th- pleasant. I think they were surprised that whenever they would take a break, I would just lay there. And they go, are you sure you don't want to get up or read a magazine? I'd say, no, this is fine. Just the, the thought of, of being able to take a na- you know, kind of take a, uh, a break from from work for three hours was great. So, so in many areas of your life, you, you, for every sense experience you have, one of the things you can be mindful of is its feeling tone. You know, whether, whether it's pleasant, whether it's unpleasant, or whether it's neutral. And, and again, as I say, in the dentist chair, there was a wide range, you know, from 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 pretty pleasant to pretty unpleasant. And again, the unpleasant was mostly around what my mind was doing with the experience rather than the actual experience. I think there was only one time when there was one tooth that wasn't completely numb that he that he drilled on a little bit that where I could feel some sensation and it wasn't it wasn't pleasant, but it wasn't uh, overwhelming either. And then the, the third foundation of mindfulness is mindfulness of mind states. So noticing what's the state of your mind, not so much the content, but the, the mood. Is it um, aversive? Is it deluded? Is it greedy? Or is it one of its opposites? You know, is it open and accepting? Is it clear? Um, is it uh, generous? And again, that <clears throat> the alternations that I would notice the most would be from a mind state that was kind of aversive, sort of fearful of... You know, I don't know what's going to go on, and um, kind of hi- a, a mind that was very hyper vigilant. You know, just like 
checking out every single little sensation to see if it was the precursor of something much, much worse. And then alternating between that mind state and a mind state that was actually pretty relaxed, um, pretty contented, um, pretty grateful. And again, that this, this can be generalized to throughout your day. You know, not, not just in the most challenging situations, but in any situation, noticing what's, what's the state of your mind. What's its kind of, uh, oh, what's its propensity? What's it, what's it, um, what's most likely to arise with this given mind state? I notice sometimes when I'm driving my car that I can be in a very uh, irritable mind state. And actually, as I get older, I find that the irritable mind state, either it's arising more often or I'm becoming more aware of it. And so there'll be times when I know I'm irritated and I can identify what it is that's irritating me. And other times I can just notice that that state is there, that there's that. There's nothing in the particular moment that's irritating, but that I I know that it wouldn't take very much to trigger irritation. It's just it's predisposed to being irritated. So that's what's being pointed to in terms of being mindful of your mind state. Of you know, what are the what's its tendency at this given moment to have arise or to have triggered? And then the fourth foundation of mindfulness is mindfulness of mind objects. So in that category, I think technically there's, there's a list of lists of things that, that could be considered mind objects. But mostly you could just think about it as things like thoughts, opinions, views, stories, you know all of those those mental formations, those mental activities that that um, take place in your mind, and being mindful of that, being mindful of what what's happening now. Again, going back to the dentist chair, the probably the biggest. Um, challenge that I would find was not any physical not any physical sensation that I actually experienced directly from the dentist action, but it was all of the the fears and all of the um, oh imaginations that I'd have of what might happen that were the most challenging and often the most unpleasant and the things that never actually happened you know it's kind of like the worst thing that happened was were the things that never actually came to be
and often the 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 mental formations are we, where we spend a lot of our lives you know thinking about things and the stories we make up and it's not that there's anything wrong with thinking that's a that's a useful activity and it and it um benefits us in many ways the problem is that we often mistake our thoughts for what's actually happening to us you know that we miss all of the other experience that's going on so what i found in in the in this dental environment was that by recognizing the shortcomings of staying with all of those mental formations that were coming up all of those thoughts and fears and moving instead to being present for the body being present for the the direct sense experience that it allowed a much greater degree of relaxation and and ease than i had had in the past So you might find this this daily practice with the four foundations of mindfulness in, in other places in your life. You might be sitting in a meeting that's particularly tense and seeing if you can be, be aware not only of what are the thoughts and the ideas that are causing the tension, but what's it like sitting there in that room at the moment. What's what's your physical experience? What are the what are the feeling tones of what's going on? Uh, what's your mind state? And what's going on in your mind? What are the what are the the mind objects? So I think that's about all I have to talk to you in a formal way about but I'd really uh, invite you to um, ask questions or share your experience of mindfulness in daily life or make what other whatever other comments you would like and please wait for the microphone from Maureen Thank you okay. very much. Yes. Um, I am just curious about the fact that of the four uh, foundations, mm-hmm. it seems like the first three is uh, you know the mindfulness of the body, of feelings, and of mind state are something that seems to be described as something uh, positive or something that you would like. Oh. Uh, one should or would like to develop or cultivate. Whereas the fourth one, which is the mindfulness of mind objects like mm-hmm. thoughts and, and imagination and whatnot, um, is seen as something to the negative side that is something that you, you don't want to um, be there 
with it, you want to sort of leave it and then go to the first three. Can you say a little bit more about that? It seems like the, f- the first three belong to the same category and the fourth one is in a different category. Hmm. Well, actually the third and the fourth both have to do with the mind. So the mind can have wholesome states, states that lead to hap- a sense of happiness and well-being, and also states that are aversive, that uh, you know, that are um, problematic. So in, in in the mind states, there are ones that both are worth cultivating, and there's other ones that are worth. Um, recognizing and seeing if if they can be diminished. Now with mind objects, with the fourth category, there's actually, I'm not sure that I can list, all, list the list, but, but one, of the, one of the lists of things that are mind objects are the seven factors of enlightenment. So noticing in your mind if, if mindfulness is strengthening, if uh, investigation, Curiosity is is one of them. Um, energy, you know that that energy can come up. Um, joy, kind of a, a rapture, both in the body and the mind. Uh, tranquility, concentration, and equanimity. Those seven are are factors that arise on the path towards enlightenment. So those those are all also in that category as well that can arise. So it's it's not Yeah. Thank you. You're welcome. I have a tail. Oh. <laughs> I'm loud now. Uh, uh, I have a tale of, of uh, where mindfulness um, really helped in um, the ability to see aversion arise and have it dissipate. Uh, I was uh, I had to go through um, like MRI uh, procedures, a couple of them, and I tended to be horribly uh, claustrophobic. Mm-hmm. And I would take Ativan, which is a instant vacation um, mm-hmm. drug. You just mm-hmm. flip it on your tongue and it's great. Mm. You're on an island, sunny island someplace. But I, I, I didn't want to do that. And uh, uh, one of the last ones I had to go through, I, I decided, okay, well, I, I'm just going to try to be mindful and see what happens. So prior to uh, getting in the machine, I had opportunity to meditate some. And then in the machine, I would just start meditating focusing on the breath, focusing on the body. And um, it was really interesting. I could feel and almost see fear arise. It was just sort of a, a rushing kind of a feeling, just overcrowding feeling. But the ability to see it, the ability allowed me to have separation. And that separation led to its isolation by itself. It was just sort of out there, and it didn't encroach any further. And then, by observing it, it, it dissipated. And uh, I thought it was really neat. 
Because, <laughs> because uh, without having it, I, I uh, without either mindfulness or Ativan or a drug, I would want to go screaming out of the room. Hmm. Uh, the, the fear was so palpable hmm. in the past. So, uh, so it works. Hmm. Well, great. Mindfulness in daily life has sort of, this is more like a mindfulness confession than anything else, is that I've noticed some things that I do and reactions that I have that I really don't like. It's, it's recently I, I went to go pay a bill online, uh, a credit card bill, and it was due the next day. And I'm accustomed to instant gratification for things like that. So I go in and, and I've, I, have entered something wrong and they're like sorry that's not right and so I did it again and they're like okay either your customer ID or your password's wrong and so sometimes on these things three's a charm mm-hmm. and it's like you're going to get spit out if you get it wrong the third time and so they had a little thing to click if you've forgotten your password so sometimes that works nicely and you fill in some questions and and they email you something or another that will, you know, give you the key to secret worlds. Anyway, I get over there and they want my social security number. And I just went this little mini eruption. It was like, my what? <laughs> and it was like, oh, look at this. You're getting really excited. It's like I've imagined this whole thing where, oh, I'm not going to get this bill paid and it's going to be late and, you know. We all know that we go to hell if you don't get your, you know, your credit card bill paid on time. And I turned it into this catastrophe, plus I had a, a, an eruption over the fact that they wanted the social security number. So it's like, it was like, okay. So I stopped and I went and found where I had written the, the, the customer IDs and the passwords and, and went back. But I realized how frequently that happens to me, that I've been trained to think that things will happen instantaneously. And when they don't happen instantaneously, I have these, I can have a meltdown. Hmm. And because that doesn't fit in my self-image, it's a little like, ooh. And I've noticed a number of those things that cause that. It's, it's, I'm a pretty patient driver, but if the person in back of me beeps at me, all of a sudden, they're really stupid. Hmm. Hmm. Thank you. Yes, do you want to? Um, recently, I've really been uh, trying to really be mindful of my body a lot, you know. So just really, you know, sensations and what's happening. And what I notice is that the more I do that, the more I notice that, wow, I really think a lot. You know, um, it just kind of made me mindful of, of how, much, how, how much unnecessary thinking I was doing during the day w- without even being really aware of it. So, you know, just going into the body kind of helped me to see that recently. Mm. Great. Thanks. There was a Dharma talk that I heard a couple of years ago on a tape that was talking by Joseph Goldstein who was talking about 
um, let's see, he was talking about thinking. And sometimes it does come across as though Dharma teachers are saying thinking is bad or you need to get rid of thinking. And really there's... Um, There's a process that we do called conceptualization. You know, that something happens, there's some experience we have, and we come up with a name for that experience, which is a concept, you know, like drinking water, you know, or ringing the bell. And there's nothing wrong with conceptualization, it's a really useful shorthand for us to navigate our lives. But we can get to the point where we actually believe that our concepts of what are happening are all there is to it. That we miss the direct experience that we're having of life. There's a lot of sense input and a lot of um, kind of nonverbal knowing of our life that we often tune out to to by exclusively focusing on the conceptualizations that we're having of talking and listening and uh, opinions and things like that. So when I heard Joseph give that talk, it really helped me, it it helped relax some kind of made-up conflict I had in my mind about you know, thinking versus experiencing, that it doesn't have to be one or the other, but it it might be that we could come to a different balance, that we could that we might want to pay more attention to our direct experience, primarily because we haven't been trained as well in that as we have in the in the conceptualizing. But they're both useful. And I don't know if that helps with with um, that fourth foundation. So thank you all for your attention.